Well, it is the day before the episode comes out and I wanted to add a little addendum because guess what? Zillow announced that they will stop buying homes through Zillow offers for the rest of the year. So for the rest of 2021, they are not going to be using their iBuyer model to buy new properties. This was reported by CNN Business literally today. And so I don't know what that means for 2022, but I needed to add this to the episode. This is breaking news. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn and this is Bad With Money. Today's episode is (laughs) a doozy. There's a lot of controversy around Zillow, fair housing, and iBuying. There's viral TikToks, there's denials, there's political radicalization, there is a lot. But first, if you leave a five-star Apple review, I will read your name on the show. One other thing you could do that would really help is to share these episodes with three people in your life who you think could benefit. Just share the Apple link and say, hey, thinking of you, this was good. I'm trying to get on the charts. Okay, so for those of you paying attention to real estate, Zillow is under fire for allegedly manipulating the housing market during a time when housing is a real problem for many people in this country. Despite eviction moratoriums, homelessness has grown during the pandemic, and I'm sure you've seen plenty of friends and loved ones complaining about how quickly homes are snatched up and how much people are buying over asking price. I'm on the real estate subreddit a lot, and the common refrain is that it's an unreal competitive market right now in trying to buy a house and has been for a while. Anecdotal evidence, but evidence from my life and experience, especially since you guys know I just purchased my first home a few months ago, so I've been keeping track of this stuff. Now here's what's going on with Zillow. Zillow has been buying homes for over their asking price with an additional convenience fee, so either five or 7%, depending on where you look and who you ask, supposedly, allegedly fixing them up and reselling them for a higher cost, basically taking the place of the seller. The average percentage a real estate agent takes is usually 6%, 3% for the seller's agent, and 3% for the buyer's agent. So 5% is below the average, but most places reporting on this have said the convenience fee is actually 7 to 7.5%. Our guest, a rep for Zillow, and I tossle over this number a bit. I think it's different in different areas. People are willing to pay more through the service fee if it means they can sell their house faster and without even having to show it. The problem is that Zillow is buying homes so quickly and with appealing cash offers that first-time homebuyers are missing out on getting them or even seeing them. According to an August 21st article by CNBC, Zillow was part of the surge of buyers offering cash and 20 to 30K over asking price to quickly snatch up the homes. Like I said, people were complaining about this in the real estate subreddit, and some of the buyers were Zillow. Zillow has competition as Opendoor and Redfin have very similar iBuying programs too. They're not the only ones doing this, and we will get to what iBuying means in a moment. In a September 24th article on Vice, writer Maxwell Starchin posits that Zillow is not big enough yet to be manipulating the housing market, but real estate agents on TikTok are warning that it could. Quote, 
The controversy began earlier this month after a real estate agent named Sean Gotcher posted a video on TikTok in which he theorized about an unnamed company that everybody used to look for houses. Gotcher put forth a hypothetical scenario where the company purchased 30 homes close together, so in one neighborhood, like 30 homes, each one for $300,000, before buying a 31st for $340,000, which the company would turn around and then on their own website use as the comp at which to sell the other homes for that higher price. So every house in that neighborhood would be like $300K, then then Zillow would buy a house for $340K, and suddenly the price in that neighborhood goes up. They also don't need the house to have an appraisal by a bank because they are buying in cash, so there's no one to check that that price might not be fair. This would net the hypothetical company a hypothetical $1.2 million. This is all hypothetical, and Zillow says it has no such plan. This quarter, Zillow operated at a loss in order to buy those homes and has said over and over that it has no intention of doing the above but rather it believes it will recoup solely based on the convenience fee it charges and on making revenue selling after it repairs the house, which it maintains any seller would do, and that is true. So iBuying. This stands for instant buying, and it includes Zillow offers, which is Zillow's version of iBuying. Zillow buys the house without any open houses or even having to put the home on the market and then acts as the middleman. The seller gets a cash offer fast and the buyer buys from Zillow instead. So right now, since they're operating at a loss, Zillow is getting money from investors and deals, and I have to think that they have some sort of plan beyond what they're admitting to to recoup all that money in upcoming quarters. But I don't know. A Zillow spokesperson said in the Vice article, which I'll link in the description, for this to work, we need to buy and sell as many homes as possible to generate the revenue and profit that we want. Then we use that capital to go and buy the next set of homes. This is all very standard if you replace a human seller with a Zillow offer seller. Now, should that be normalized? Well, Twitter lit up with criticism. (laughs) Alicia Lutz wrote, Zillow buying all the homes so none of us can afford to live anywhere should radicalize every single last one of you. And Megan Jolene wrote, this is 100% market manipulation. Corporations shouldn't be able to purchase single family homes for exactly this reason. Houses should not be traded like assets by corporations with endless sums of cash. People can't outbid companies. The issue is, Will this cause the homes to become unaffordable or inaccessible? One of our guests this week is Amanda Pendleton, an iBuying expert from Zillow, who addresses this controversy. She doesn't deny that Zillow collects and uses our data to predict, which isn't a crime, but it does raise my eyebrow because they could change prices depending on what they're seeing if, in fact, they own the house rather than the average seller. This is called the Zestimate. Amanda addresses my questions about this in a remarkably calm and practiced manner. They are expecting this line of questioning over at Zillow, and they are prepared. They claim much of this fanfare is based on falsehoods and misinformation. I know this is all complicated, and um, hopefully we can suss out what exactly is going on. But first, Jennifer Myers, host of the Confessions of a Top Producing Real Estate Agent podcast, joins me to discuss how to become a real estate agent and the benefits of having a real, live, independent business person help you buy a home. I'm Jennifer Myers, and I'm a real estate agent in the Washington, D.C. area, and I specialize in helping first-time home buyers. So, you know, we've done an episode about renting and home buying, and I was just curious about the real estate side. How does one become a real estate agent? Well, it's relatively easy. I mean, it depends on the state. You have to be licensed in the state that you're doing business in. 
you just have to take some kind of general classes. And usually it's 40 hours ish of classes, which then gives you the ability to take the test. And then you have to pass both a local and a national test. Then you get your license. And then once you get your license, you have to affiliate with a broker to essentially hang your license. Oh, okay. So wait, what's on the test? <laughs> Things you're never going to use ever. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's literally like, you know, how many feet in a mile or just stuff that you're never oh, going to use. Okay. Yeah. Like... Interesting. <laughs> and then you actually have to learn how to be a real estate agent while you're doing it. If someone's thinking about like, I want to become a real estate agent, what are the qualities or what do you think they need? Because people might just go into it thinking like, oh, this will be easy. It's funny because when I first became a real estate agent, I thought it was going to be easy and it's, it's not. Like you really have to think of yourself as an entrepreneur and that you are starting a brand new business and that business is why should somebody choose you as their agent? Mm -hmm. And that's really hard to answer because there's over one and a half million real estate agents. There's more real estate agents than there are houses to sell. What is the ideal client real estate agent relationship? First and foremost, as on the real estate agent side, think about who it is that you really want to help and how you can provide value to them. So that's the relationship that you really want to generate with your clients. Now on the buyer or seller side, you want to pick a real estate agent who you actually feel like you can call or ask questions even well after you've bought your house or sold your house. What would someone call you about after? Oh my gosh, that's my, this is my favorite calls all the time. Like I have clients text me like, oh, look what I did to my backyard or oh. yeah. <laughs> like they're like, remember how terrible this looked? I have a client who's redoing her bathroom and she got three quotes and she was like, why are these quotes so wildly different? I have one for $50,000. I was like, eh, don't use that. And I have one for $5,000. And so, you know, I just went through the quotes with her and was like, okay, here's what's missing from this one. Here's what you should go back to on wow. that one. My goal at least, and I think, the way that I hope that real estate agents and their clients will interact is like that. It's a source of information, not just selling. So like if you're coming and you want to be like the ideal client and you're a first time home buyer, like what do you need to come to you with? Like what, what is the best case scenario client? <laughs> uh, like literally nothing. So for me, <laughs> but my favorite clients are literally like, I don't know anything. Help me. Right? Like that's really? who I want. Yeah. Like, if you have the right real estate agent, they're the ones who get you prepared and give you the information so that you feel knowledgeable and that you feel confident. Then you start talking to a lender. Yes. Well, yeah. Then you start looking at houses. I think the way that like the public now is kind of hitched real estate is first you start going on the apps. First you start looking at houses and that's, that's going to get you in a ton of trouble. Yeah. For us, what happened was uh, we had a real estate agent and then she wasn't showing us things based on what we had said we wanted. And then we kept, yeah. I kept finding stuff on Zillow that I liked. And I was like, why isn't she showing us this? So then I started contacting the people directly, found another agent. And then we got pre-approved without actually like being approved. And then we were going and looking at places. And then we picked a place and we were like, we want this place. And then it took, I don't know, three months to get actually approved. And yeah. and like normally, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you would have the approval for the loan from the lender. 
ideally before you look at the house. Yes, exactly. Okay, so here's why this is so important. So first step is you want to interview a few agents. You want to start with the agent. My question to you is, did your agent sit down with you and like really understand the why behind what you were looking for? No. No. So often real estate agents will skip that step. So that's step number one. You really want to pick an agent. If an agent isn't willing to meet with you, whether it's in person or on Zoom, and have that conversation about what is it that you're looking for? Like, why do you want those things? And really understand what it is that you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. And in that conversation, there's three things that your real estate agent should be talking to you about. Okay. What the house looks like. Sure. Where it's located. Uh Uh-huh. And how much you want to pay for it. Right. That's it. So everything that you can think about fits in one of those three categories. And so often we come to these meetings with like, I want to buy a house for 300000 or 400000 or whatever that big number is. But people don't know what that number actually is in monthly payments. And so the question I always ask my clients is, okay, that's great, but how much do you actually want to pay per month? Mm-hmm. And then how much money do you want to put towards the transaction? And with those two numbers, that gives us our purchase price. Right. Yes. It's the down payment plus whatever you feel like you can pay per month. And then the rest comes from the mortgage, from the loan. Exactly. Exactly. And those are the numbers that are so important that you should take to your lender. And with those two numbers, your lender should tell you what purchase price you should be looking at. Right. So they'll tell you like, okay, if you want to put down like $20,000 and you want to pay a thousand a month, mathematically, this is like the type of house you can afford. So now go look at those. Yes. Do not skip over to the apps and be scanning and be looking at houses if you haven't gone through those two pieces first. Sitting down with an expert, knowing what the numbers look like, Uh fully being approved, then we start looking at houses. Otherwise, it's going to get really messed up. Uh Uh-huh. Let me tell you, found a house first. It was so stressful waiting for the lender. We were like freaking out. And mostly the, the holdup came from my partner and I both being freelancers. Yeah. What they care about is how much is coming in and not just like how much is coming in, but how much is documented coming in. Yep. So especially for people who are like us business owners, right? You've got income and then you've got expenses. And what they care about is like, what's the bottom line, right? The P&L, baby, the profits and loss. (laughs) Right. Because as a business owner, you want a lot of expenses, right? So you're like spending, Mm -hmm. you're investing in your business and you're like, boop, boop, boop. And then you're like, oh, that's not what the lenders want to see. You want to have a lender who specializes in people who aren't W-2 employees. Right. So we did it um, wrong and backwards. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) continue on with what the ideal way to do it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. So I'll ask you, like, why didn't you want to get approved first? Because it's like the boring part, right? It's like the scary part. Or what happened? Like, tell me. What what happened? I don't really know. We... We had been pre-approved and then for some reason from once it came down to them actually seeing our freelance lives, they want, I mean, they kept asking for documents, which like I know is kind of normal, but they would ask for something, we'd give it to them two weeks later, they'd ask for the Mm -hmm. exact same thing. And so it is, I would say a full gaslighting process where you're like, I gave that to you and they'll be like, give it to us again. Yeah. Or I need it updated. 
all right, that was for last month, and now I need it for this yeah. month. And or you'd go, they'd go, okay, yeah, so so yeah, we'll be totally fine after you hand in this, and then we go, okay, and we hand it in, and then a week later we're like check in, and we're like, are we done? And then they'll go, uh, no, that's nuts. We need four more things, and you'd be like, am I? What's going on? Like, yeah. What you really want to make sure happens in the pre-approval process is they actually ask, did they ask you for all that documentation up front once? No. No. At that moment that you that you're approved, they should be pulling your credit. Yep. They should be asking for all the documentations. Your last two years, two months worth of pay stub, your last two years worth of taxes. That is really what guarantees that what they're giving you on paper will actually happen when you have a property identified. Uh-huh. Sometimes also you you go into it and you say to the real estate agent, and I don't know if you probably know how often this happens, you're like, I want a modern house with three bedrooms and this, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, great. And then you show them something that's like a two bedroom, like 1940s Victorian house. And they're like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're like, that's not what you said to me at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's really important. That's why it's so important to have that conversation and have that agent prompt you with like, what if I find you a three bedroom that's not modern? Do you want me to show it to you? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what is it about the three bedrooms that is important? What if it's only two bedrooms, but it has like a side enclosed porch? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Like, I always say like in real estate and then loans, like little hinges, like big doors. So it's like that little stuff is really important to hammer out way in the beginning. What's going on with the market? So it's starting to shift slightly in the buyer's favor, which happens kind of generally this time of year. But I think we're starting to see that the whole country moved. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Like they all moved at the same time. And so there wasn't like these tiny micro markets. It was this huge shift in the way that people are living. And that's, I don't, I can't think of a time in our like history where that's been the case. So of course Mm -hmm. the demand increased. And there wasn't enough supply because people kind of were getting stuck. Mm -hmm. I think what's starting to happen is people are starting to get settled. They've made these big decisions. They've done these big moves. And it's starting to be slightly easier. So Yeah, we were, we got very lucky. The woman said that a lot of people had looked at it, but they had kids. And there's only one extra bedroom. And I think it was just too, like, cabin-y for someone to, to live there with their family. I'm not entirely sure. Off mic, I will ask you. I'll ask you now. I don't really care. Are you required to mention violent deaths, suicides? Do you think that's what happened in the house or something? I do. (laughs) I do. At least in my jurisdiction, no, you don't. At all? Any deaths? No, I don't. I mean, I'm trying to, that's not a required disclosure. No. Wow. You want to hear something really weird? You want to, like, one time I walked into this house. And I just kind of got this feeling. I was like, I looked at the staircase and I was like, oh no, ah, I feel like somebody died on that staircase. Oh, so no. I called the agent and I was like, Hey, I know you're not, you don't have to disclose to me, but like, did someone die in that house? And she said, yes, she fell down the stairs and she was an old person. So maybe you're right. If you have that feeling, could be right. We chatted to the neighbors <laughs> and we got some tea. Do you think that affects the sale of the house or anything? 
if you knew what you knew now, would you not have bought it? No, I would have still bought it. Yeah. This is the thing is that I never understood in horror movies where they would buy a house and then like all this crazy stuff like would start happening and like the walls would bleed and they'd be like, well, we can't leave. And now after the going through this whole process of buying my own house, I'm like, I get it. I'd stay like buying a house is hard. Like, okay, whatever. There's a ghost in the attic. Who cares? Do you know how long this process was? I'm not selling the Amityville. <laughs> like we're stuck. We're not doing this again. That's really funny. No, I, I you know, it, I think it's, I think what you're required to disclose are like material facts about the house or latent facts that are not known. So if it leaks every time it rains. Now you could ask and they would have to answer you, but I don't think it's a required disclosure. Interesting. But sometimes that agent doesn't know. Right. Maybe it's better for them not to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I always recommend Googling the address you're going to buy and see what comes up. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Google the people, too. Google the sellers. The, the sellers. You'll find out a lot. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Sure. Is there like one big piece of advice that you want to leave my listeners with don't feel like you have to know anything find somebody that you feel like you can say I don't know what I'm doing and I need your help see them as your partner and if you don't feel like you have that relationship with them then like keep looking for the right one and have it be somebody mm -hmm. that like you want to talk to after the transaction and you and you feel like would be a good resource for you and where can people find your podcast and find out more about you? So if you're a real estate agent, you can go to agentgradschool.com. And if you're a buyer or seller, you can go to wheredoyoudwell.com. Next, we have Amanda Pendleton, one of Zillow's iBuying experts recommended to me by the company to talk all about the iBuying process and its future. We get into Zillow's defenses against the viral TikToks and articles questioning the company's motives and what exactly Zillow offers wants to offer. I'm Amanda Pendleton. I'm a home trends expert at Zillow, and my job is to translate all of Zillow's housing market data into actionable tips for real people who are looking on to move to the next chapter of their lives. So when did Zillow really begin to like pick up steam? So the day Zillow launched the Zestimate, the whole website crashed because so many people wanted to know what their homes were really worth. Uh, so Zillow really was a hit from the very beginning. But over the past year, we've really seen this surge in kind of pandemic-led traffic to Zillow because Zillowing or Zillow surfing has become really a pandemic pastime. And we also saw a huge surge in home sales as well. So people weren't just you know, dreaming with Zillow. They are also moving with Zillow as well. When people search, you know, on Zillow often, does it help Zillow sort of collect data to be like, okay, so this is what this person is looking for, or this is what, you know, this is what's available in this neighborhood and that kind of thing? So Zillow will take a look at your saved homes and your shared homes. And Zillow will, will kind of figure out based on the inputs that you provide, what kind of homes you might be interested in. What exactly is iBuying? So iBuying stands for instant buying, and Zillow's iBuying program is called Zillow Offers. And what it is, it's a service for home sellers that allows you to sell your home directly to a company 
like Zillow, and then you can avoid all the typical stressors of a traditional home sale. So no open houses, no showings, no repairs, and you get to set the closing date. So what, what Zillow offers really provides is certainty, control, and convenience in a process that's usually really complicated and frustrating. So you get the certainty of a cash offer in your back pocket from a company like Zillow. You get control over your closing date so you can move on your timeline. And then you also have the convenience of not having to deal with strangers tracing through your home during open houses and showings. Zillow will purchase a home directly from a homeowner for fair market value, make some minor repairs to that home, and then list it back on the open market as quickly as possible and sell those homes for fair market value. So Zillow is kind of like a facilitator between sellers and buyers, ultimately adding inventory to the housing market. What's the convenience fee? So the convenience fee is right now is variable, depends on the house, but right now nationwide it averages 5%. And that's a fee that's paid for by by the homeowner. I saw something that it was like 7.5% and that like re- usually real estate I- agents, it's like a 6% take, but it's just sort of because this is faster Correct. The fee is variable. It really depends on the home. And honestly, it depends on the market, too. So right now, nationwide, Zillow's fees are around 5%. And and you're right, it is in line with a typical real estate commission. And that sort of covers, you know, Zillow's holding costs, right? It's the cost of being able to, to own that home, turn it around and put it back on the open market. What effect has that had on the housing market in the last like five years? So iBuying is still in its infancy. It's still a very small share of the housing market. Uh, We took a look at the second quarter of 2021 and put out an iBuying report and found that the iBuying sector, which is Zillow and all of its competitors, the sector as a whole made up 1% of the housing market. But I think it's done, it's added inventory number one to the market. We know that 83% of homes that are listed and sold by iBuyers have never been on the open market before. So these are homeowners who wanted to sell their home, but just felt like they couldn't or they didn't want to sell it traditionally. And the other thing that has changed in the market is it's added choice. You know, for the first time, homeowners have another option, another way to sell their home without sacrificing price. So it's basically like, Selling the house to Zillow. It's like people that want to sell quickly. You know, not necessarily that you want to sell your home quickly, but that maybe you don't want to deal with all the hassles of a traditional sale. And you have the control over whether you sell quickly or whether you sell slowly, right? So you can Mm -hmm. sell in as quick as seven days or in as long as 90 days. And in today's market, we're actually seeing a lot more people pick that 90-day window because they want more time to shop for their next home because they Mm -hmm. don't know if they're going to get the first home they offer on. So I've seen some pushback on Zillow buying homes or having like, is there a long-term strategy there? Because it reminded me a bit of like the Amazon model where they up front in the beginning, they were losing money. They were buying out sort of their competitors and losing money, which like I've read, you know, Zillow is sort of taking a hit a little bit. Is there sort of like a long-term strategy for that initial loss? I think you're right that there is pushback. And I think that's coming from a place of fear and, and honestly misunderstanding and misinformation that's floating out there on the internet about what iBuying is and, and what it isn't. 
You know, the iBuying model, the business model, and I can kind of pull back the curtain a little bit, is to purchase homes for fair market value, to make minor repairs to those homes, and to put them back on the market as quickly as possible for fair market value. So, you know, Zillow is not intentionally trying to make money on the purchase or sale of these homes. Zillow makes its profit in, in the service fee, that convenience fee that's, that's paid by the homeowner, which averages 5% nationwide right now, but it is variable. So that's sort of where iBuyers make the money. And, and you know, that's the strategy long-term. I think as iBuyers get better with pricing, we're going to get closer to that model of, of kind of breaking even on the home and then being able to make the money on the service fee. Yeah, because I've seen like both where people are like, this is going to cause the market to skyrocket. And then other people being like, great, I'm going to buy a bunch of Zillow stock then. Like, it seems like there's, there's two sides to it. So like the model is because it obviously you fix it up a little bit, and then you put it back on the market for a, a higher price. So the model is to, to do that so that more people can buy through Zillow, like so that they sell on Zillow and they buy on Zillow? No, the idea is to provide a service to sellers. Mm -hmm. We know sellers' biggest stressor is that they're not sure if they're going to be able to sell their home and purchase a new home on their timeline, right? Mm -hmm. It's timing those two transactions is, is the number one reason why sellers sit on the sidelines. Do you think it'll change the prices in certain neighborhoods or no? That's not the idea because, you know, what Zillow does to homes is it doesn't fundamentally change the footprint or really the value of the home. Uh, Zillow is making the repairs that any typical homeowner would make to their home before listing it for sale. So, you know, think paint, carpet cleaning, landscaping, stuff like that. It's getting the home safe, clean, and functional for its buyer. Uh, so ultimately, Zillow is trying to, to buy homes at market value and trying to sell homes at market value. And, and we're getting pretty close. We did a, a study that found that people who came through Zillow and requested a Zillow offer but then went on to sell their home traditionally sold their home for 0.09% more on the open market versus that initial cash offer from Zillow. So, you know, they're selling their homes for less than a tenth of a percent more than, than the offer they would have got from Zillow. How many people are using iBuying? You said it's a small percentage using iBuying right now versus using real estate agents. Correct. Yeah, the iBuying sector as a whole in the second quarter of 2021, uh, it made up 1% of the entire market. Why do you think that is? How are you hoping to see that grow? You know, iBuying has always meant to be an alternative to a traditional sale. It's kind of one more way to do it, and it's a different way to do it. And it's new, right? Mm -hmm. I think people, number one, don't know is available. And number two, you know, they've got a lot of questions about it. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, people want fast, fair, and convenient in all aspects of their lives, right? And I think people want that in a real estate transaction. And right now, it's still very much an analog process. So I think as more people kind of demand and desire these digital tools in a different way to do things, I think the more you're going to see iBuying increase in popularity. How can like real estate agents, existing real estate agents work with Zillow? Yeah, agents work with Zillow all the time in a whole bunch of different ways. So first of all, a home buyer may want to still have an agent 
if they're selling their home directly to Zillow because they want someone who's going to be representing them in that transaction. And so Zillow will work directly with the agent on the iBuying transaction. Uh, the other thing is that we know that a lot of sellers who are selling a home are also buying a new home at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if you're coming to Zillow to sell your home, you're probably looking for a new home as well. And so we can connect you with a local agent who can help be your buyer's agent. And then the vast majority of people who come through Zillow and request a Zillow offer end up selling their home traditionally. And so if they want to do that, we can connect you with your really top-rated agent who can be your seller's agent. Are they using that data to recommend and to get people more zeroed in on what they're looking for? Or is there some kind of like, I've seen some stuff where it's like, oh, they're using that to change the prices on iBuying. Yeah, no, uh, Zillow <laughs> does not use user search data or browsing habits to impact its iBuying business or to impact the Zestimate for that matter. And if you think about it, you know, if we did, Zillow would be buying up all the wacky homes that you see on, on Zillow Gone Wild, the Instagram yeah. site, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's just not that's just not happening. And nor are you seeing those estimates skyrocket. So, you know, the estimate and the eye buying model, they're algorithms and they take into account millions of data points. But those mm -hmm. data points are really market based, right? It's there is information about about the home from public records and information about recent sales in the area and any information that, that the homeowner provided about that particular home. That's what really influences uh, the home's value in this estimate. During the pandemic, how did, how did it change? So when I mentioned that 1%, how iBuyers make up 1% of the market in, in Q2, that's a record for iBuyers. So more people than ever sold their home through an iBuyer in Q2 of this past year. And that was in a really hot seller's market, right, mm -hmm. where they had a lot of options, where they knew that they could sell their home traditionally and still get a really good price for their home and that their home would probably sell pretty fast. What markets are most of the houses like, I'm curious where in the U.S. this is happening the most. Yeah, so Zillow offers is operating in 25 markets nationwide. Um, the markets are, you know, there is Phoenix and Dallas and Atlanta and Las Vegas. Uh, it's markets where the housing stock uh, is relatively uniform. And that's sort of where, you know, we're able to, to do a better job with pricing. Interesting. So it's not like New York, San Francisco, L.A.? Uh, it is available in LA, but not New York and not San Francisco right now. Yeah. We saw a real surge in the Sun Belt. So oh. Phoenix and Dallas and Charlotte. These were cities that are relatively affordable and offer year-round outdoor living. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we saw a lot of migration happen. And that was a trend that had been happening pre-pandemic, but it was sort of supercharged by the pandemic. Interesting. There's other companies that are doing it. How do you compete with them? You know, I think what Zillow offers that you wouldn't get with another competitor is that you know, Zillow has sort of a network of, of agents that we work with. So, you know, we want to give you a choice. If you come through Zillow Offers, request a cash offer on your house, you don't like it, no problem. We can connect you with a great local agent who can help you sell your home traditionally. Um, so I think that's that's an advantage, right? Or you come and you try to sell your home through Zillow Offers, but you want to buy a new home, we can connect you with a great buyer's agent who can help you do that. So, you know, that's a big pro with Zillow. And the other thing is, you know, we don't make anybody sign any kind of contracts up front. Everything oh. is free, no obligation. So you can get your offer, see what it is, and then maybe shop around, meet with an agent, see what you could sell your home for on the open market. There are contracts up front with other 
iBuyers? So that's what I've heard. I don't know all the details, but I know that Zillow doesn't doesn't make anyone sign anything until the very end. Oh. Do people negotiate? Is that a thing? Like if you guys put up, you know, the house for uh, through iBuying as like, you know, you fix it up, you put it up a little bit more, are people still negotiating? Of course. Yeah. When Zillow is selling a home, Zillow is like any other seller in the market. So, uh, you know, Zillow will accept offers from people and Zillow will negotiate on price for sure. So where can people find out more about this if they're interested? Yeah, Zillow.com slash offers. You can get a ton of info, including FAQ, if you've got additional questions about iBuying and, and the Zillow Offers program. said, iBuying reminds me of the Amazon long-term model from when the company was first starting, which is kind of hard to believe since it's such a juggernaut now. For a refresher, you can listen to the Bad With Money episode, The M Word, with Nomadland author Jessica Bruder. Basically, Amazon operated at a loss at first while it cornered the market on everything we could want to buy. Zappos was selling shoes for a lower price. Amazon bought Zappos. Now any shoes you bought there, give money to Amazon. Same with books, electronics, etc. Until Amazon sold you everything because they're a monopoly and started making a huge profit. And housing is in a crisis. According to the United Way, the cities Amanda said Zillow focuses on are the same facing the most evictions. Quote, in the initial stages of our analysis, we looked at the states with the most eviction filings during COVID-19. Notably, there was not one specific region in the country that was a center for COVID-19-related evictions. The top cities where this occurs included Phoenix, Houston, and Memphis, spanning across the country and across different regional industrial centers. So they called out those three specific cities. And coincidentally, Amanda mentioned some of those cities and the Sun Belt, which is the lower half of the United States. And based on research I did after our interviews, these cities and areas kind of match where homelessness is growing. In January 2021, MarketWatch predicted over the next four years, the COVID-19 related recession is expected to cause chronic homelessness to increase some 49% nationwide. According to new research from the Economic Roundtable, a nonprofit urban research organization based in California, the homelessness crisis is expected to peak in 2023, researchers found, with an additional 603,000 working age adults without a place of their own to sleep, end quote. 2023, that's in the next couple years, as Zillow is hoping that iBuying will take off. When Amanda says Zillow ups inventory, I have to wonder if that's true. The seller would have put their house on the market anyway at some point. The argument is that Zillow gets more houses on the market because sellers can leave sooner and buy their new place sooner. But what happens when it becomes a complete iBuying circle? Why invest in upping the use of iBuying if you don't expect to make a huge profit elsewhere? I'm not an expert. I am just suspicious. The real estate agent who went viral on TikTok, Sean Gotcher, could be the canary in the coal mine. If we can even afford to buy the coal mine anymore. <laughs> 